Thank you so much, worship team. Um, good morning, everyone. My name is uh, Jordan Johnson. I am the student ministries director here at um, Fellowship Bible Church, and today is my honor and privilege to be able to bring to you guys today's sermon. Um, and, and it's kind of funny, I was reflecting on this um, and kind of preparing for this sermon, because in all honesty, the subject that we're talking about today is something that is um, actively wrestling within my own life. Uh, and so today, what I want to do is share with you guys what I have been learning in Scripture and how God has been stretching uh, and changing my life to look more like His um, and same thing, kind of offer that same gift to you. But normally, whenever I prepare for a sermon, um, one of my most favorite things I like to do is, you know, and in this case, you know, um, Slay was very kind enough to give me these chances to prepare for a sermon. So I've had like weeks to prepare for these things. Uh, and sometimes one of my favorite things to do is to mow the lawn while I just think about what the sermon is about. And of course, this summer and in the beginning, um, our, our mower was broken as a push mower. And so while I was uh, getting it repaired and stuff like that, some friends of ours were let us borrow their riding lawnmower, um, which was really fun, but I didn't like it because I got the yard done too fast. I didn't have time, and so I had to fix my push mower so I can go back to the slower method so I could really meditate on Scripture. Uh, and, so, and so I just am so glad um, to have this uh, opportunity. Really, when you think about it, this is something that is part of our daily rhythm in life, but to actually sit in front of someone and allow them to talk to you about Scripture for 30, 40 minutes, it is a great privilege, and so that's not lost on me. So thank you all for being here today. Um, so once again, we are in the Lord's Prayer, and during this series, um, it has been our tradition as a church family to recite the prayer together, uh, and so if you guys would like to do that, I invite you all to rise um, as we stand as one body um, in the name of Jesus Christ and recite this prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Thank you, guys. Please be seated. So in this series, what we have done, uh, Slade and I and C.J. White, is we've talked about what would it look like if we were to break down the Lord's Prayer line by line and really expand and meditate and think about what it means for us. Um, clearly, this had significant meaning for Jesus Christ, as it is by no mistake that he put the Lord's Prayer exactly in the center of the Sermon on the Mount, which is what he wants. It's his most clear teaching, his most, uh, the most amount of revelation he has ever given in terms of how he wants people who, to follow him, how he wants them to live their daily life. Uh, and so as part of this curiosity, when we started this journey of walking through the Lord's Prayer line by line, and that brings us today to what we are talking about here, um, it, it, which is sometimes called the fifth petition in the Lord's Prayer, uh, but it is, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Now, when we talk about forgiveness, and if you could talk to anyone uh, in the general culture and knowledge, when people talk about Christianity and what it means and what we do and what we value, forgiveness is usually one of the most well-known things 
um, that is attributed to Christianity. Oh, we're the people that forgive things, okay? Or depending on the church history you've had or, or people and stuff like that, maybe the lack of forgiveness. But regardless, it is a huge theme that we find all throughout Scripture. And so for today, I want to let you guys know my intention today is not to um, give a broad discussion about what forgiveness is. I'm not going to make an argument to you that you should forgive. We're going to accept that as a given since that we are all here in church. Um, but we're going to get it. So we're not going to talk about 70 times seven. We're not going to talk about turning the other cheek today. We are, ex- we are going to specifically focus on what forgiveness looks like in context of the Lord's prayer. Because when we look at the Lord's prayer, this is a prayer that Christ gave to his disciples to call them to action. This is not a prayer of passivity. This is a prayer of formation and a prayer of action. So that as the, his disciples would pray this, it would begin to form them the people that God has for them to be and call them into action. And forgiveness is part of that prayer. And so that's what we're going to do. So the agenda for today is we're going to first look at what forgiveness isn't, okay? And then we're going to move on to what forgiveness is. And then we're going to look at what role does forgiveness play in the kingdom. And then finally, we're going to close with our own application. How we can we bring forgiveness into our daily practice? And what does it look like to be exercised? And so let's begin today. Well, I should say, are you guys ready? Okay, I am. So here we go. Let's go. What forgiveness is, what, the reason why I'm beginning with this is because from today to this moment to when Jesus first gave the Lord's Prayer to his disciples, we've had a lot of time. We've had a lot of blog posts. We've had a lot of theories. We've had a lot of research. We've had a lot of um, ideas. We've had new content bringing. We've had a renaissance. We've had an enlightenment. We've had an industrial age. And we are right now in the postmodern area, all to say that there's a lot of things that we as a cultural people can then accumulate and assimilate into our lives without even knowing. So it's worth our time to kind of prune back, to kind of clear, sweep the floor of things that are not as helpful for us when it comes to getting in the mindset of how did the disciples receive Jesus' teaching back during this time. And make no mistake, there's a lot of assumptions that are put into the Lord's Prayer that the culture then would have picked up without being prompted. But once again, we had to take a few extra steps to get in that. For instance, when Jesus was talking about when you pray in the Jewish culture, they had a very rich, well-understood, traditional prayer culture. And so when Jesus said, when you pray they did not have to say, okay, so how many times and when was he talking about when he says that? They knew in their mind, oh yeah, three times a day, every day till we die. And so once, once again, there's a reason why we're doing this. Um, and so uh, with that, though, let's get our first kind of big overview definition of forgiveness, okay? So this is the kind of the first thing, if you're taking notes, this is one thing you want to write down. Forgiveness only exists in the aftermath of harm. Forgiveness only exists in the aftermath of harm, meaning you cannot go up to someone and say, hey, one day I'm going to hurt your feelings, so I'm going to forgive you right now, or vice versa, that kind of thing. We cannot preemptively forgive people. We can adjust for expectations. We can put out disclaimers, but forgiveness cannot happen until something happens. One of the most consistent promises I make to our students in youth ministry, um, every year I stand before them and I say, if you spend enough time around me, I will let you down in some way, okay? That's me not offering forgiveness. That's me adjusting their expectations and giving them a disclaimer saying, I'm just as human as you are. 
And so when we talk about forgiveness, it's mentioning in the Lord's Prayer assumes that something has happened. And in fact, this is one of the most common themes in Scripture, all the way from Genesis chapter 3, all the way till Revelation. It is the thing that forgiveness is needed because harm is always Assumed. This even happens in how we structure the canon of Scripture or how we look at the books in the Bible. As an example, when the prophets were called up by God, it is always because something happened that the prophets need to be called up to address so that they might be reconciled unto God. And the same thing in the New Testament. The reason why we have a letter written to the Romans, the reason why we have a letter written to the Ephesians, the Galatians, the Colossians, the Corinthians, the Thessalonians, and the seven letters in the, the, the first part of Revelation, the seven letters of the churches, is because harm has been done and the letter is being written so that it might be addressed with the goal of reconciliation between the churches and between God. And so for us to go on this path to say, well, if forgiveness is needed, no, but the scripture wholly testifies to the fact that forgiveness is needed because harm is a daily experience of our life. And we need to recognize that now. Many times people will approach scriptures as a way to avoid sin. So I'm going to read the scriptures to find out the things I need to avoid in order to not sin. And I would st- testify that before you now, now, that is not how the Bible was written, and it's not what it is to be used for. It is to point out the sin that has already happened, that we might be reconciled, and also to know what the great weight and cost of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross of what it absolves. And so we have to deal with this fact that sin is Assumed. So when we talk about forgiveness in the Lord's Prayer, then we need to talk about how to be reconciled. It's the idea of the wound and the cure. We need to identify what the wound is so that we can administer the appropriate cure. Because if the appropriate cure is not administered to a wound, it does not heal. And so when we're talking about what forgiveness isn't, because we are living in a fallen world that even though the Christ kingdom has now come, it is not yet finished. And so we still have to deal with the world. We still have to deal with the flesh. And one of the things we need to recognize is that our human brains, although crazily and wonderfully and perfectly designed by God, intentional, is still because they're in a full, a fallen world, we have to deal with this idea of self-preservation that extends all the way into how we forgive. You see, the brain has one job keep us alive, okay? Everything the brain does, does it in order to keep you alive. So when you wake up and you're still breathing, thank you, brain. Thank you, God, for making the brain to do this because I am still alive. Now, what that also extends to is your brain will also think that by public embarrassment and shame, you might die. So oftentimes your brain will say, oh, that's embarrassing. Let's not talk about that. And we have to acknowledge that for us to go any further. And so what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to highlight some examples of when people who desire to apologize but yet still have this tendency of self-preservation without even knowing it will add it into an apology and thus remove responsibility from them. And so this is, so once again, I stand before you as chief among sinners. And so these phrases that I am putting up before you today is not some indictment against you and what you say. More or less, I'm saying, gosh, I have said these in the past. And it's likely 
I'll say it again because God is not yet done with me. But one of the things is we need to be aware of these things. And so the first one I want to put up today is uh, very familiar with uh, celebrities, public figures, and athletes. Whenever the news breaks about some dumb thing they did or unwise decision, and they have to go before people. You guys have all seen this, right? They all have to go before a press conference and make an apology, okay? And then usually, if not always, something like this will be said. I am sorry... This is not who I am. Have you guys ever heard this before or something like that? Yeah, yeah, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There is an apology, but within the same breath of the apology, there is a denial of responsibility. I should not be held responsible for this because this is not who I am. You guys see that? There is the apology, but the brain's instinct for self-preservation then kind of adds that in there. Here's another one. I am sorry that you feel that way. Say once again, there is the apology, but within the same breath, the subject gets changed from the person who has done the offense to the person who has been offended. And usually, if not always, when this kind of apology is used, usually there's an explanation. I did this because of this, because of this, because of this. And so if you understand where I came from, then you would know the reasons why I did it. So therefore, you should not be feeling that way. I should be let go of responsibility because it's about you and not about me. You guys tracking with that? And another one here, this, was, uh, this one is very familiar um, and frequent within Christian relationships because once again, we're not arguing that forgiveness is a good thing. And, and I'm not discrediting. Yes, there are apologies, but at the same time, there's also this little distance that kind of puts the thing that happened, puts some distance. So this one I, I see a lot in Christian circles. I forgave them. They did the best that they could. Anyone familiar with this one? So in this one here, you actually have a pretty good apology, but what is unspoken, though, is that when you say these two lines together, they actually cancel each other out, okay? Because if forgiveness is based on harm being done, then they did not do the best they could. If they truly did the best they could, why are you forgiving them? The very fact that you have to forgive them means they did not do the best they could. So you see how they kind of cancel each other out? Now, I know, I used to get taking notes like this. I'm not going to say these words ever again because Jordan will call me out. Once again, I, it is very likely before I die and meet Jesus that I will say these again, okay? So this is just an awareness, not a, not a confession kind of thing. This is this, okay. But actually, <laughs> I saved the best one for last. Um, this one I have heard more often than anything else. And in fact, when you look up forgiveness just generally on Google, you will see more things about this concept uh, in fact, when you first look at this phrase, you would not be mistaken for thinking, well, this even sounds like something from the Bible, because when you read it, man, it just feels right. It looks good. And it's this phrase, forgive and forget. Has anyone had any experience with this phrase before? Okay, good. So I'm not alone. And so this one, once again, you look at it, and it's like, oh, yeah, of course. I mean, you could find in the Bible, God, thou shalt forgive and forget. It kind of flows really well there. And once again, it is not an abuse. It's just an, an, an unawareness that, that we, oh, yeah. Welcome. So, so I'm here to stand before you guys today. This is not in the Bible. This is not anywhere close to biblical truth. In fact, the best of my research, the closest I can get to is its origins happen in 1605 with the publishing of the novel Don Quixote de la Mancha. 
Okay, so not from the Bible, but rather from the pen of a human man. And in fact, you can even go, we'll we'll talk about this in a little bit, because there's a very good reason why I think perhaps this has been adopted in Christian language, and it's something that I want to address. So a brief little sidebar, um, but if we are to be the church that Jesus wants us to be, then we have to address this issue, okay? Um, At best, in my most generous thinking and most gracious thinking possible, there is possibly one way that this phrase has been adopted into Christian thinking because there is verses in the Bible that do talk about God forgiving sin and remembering them more, most notably in Hebrews chapter 8 when you guys look there. Um, but, but, but honestly, well, well, first of all, the, but before I get there, though, there's actually a very good reason why forget and forget is, is very, in fact, it's, it's so important, I gotta go back a few slides. Okay, so the reason why we do not like forgive and forget, the reason why it is very sinister in its nature because it sounds really good, but what it's saying is something happened, but we're gonna pretend like nothing happened. Something happened, but then I'm gonna talk to someone and get them to play along with me and act as if nothing happened. At best, it is manipulative. At worst, it is abusive. And this phrase, my prayer is this phrase would, be, would disappear from the language of the church because there's nothing more damaging to the idea of forgiveness than this phrase. Mostly because when you look at Don Quixote, because I'm sure you guys all have it at home and you read it to your children nightly. Um, if I am correct, if I'm correct, and please uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it happens in chapter 30 and the admission of the phrase forgive and forget comes not from the offended, but from the offender talking to the person whom he has offended saying, can we forgive and forget? And so that is without a doubt, not at all within the biblical context because we do have scriptures. Okay, so Hebrews chapter eight does talk about being, uh, God forgiving and remembering no more. And what's important for us to talk about is that that is, actually from Jeremiah 31, 34. And so I will put it up on the screen just so you guys see I'm not making this up. Once again, I'm inviting you on a journey. It's not for me to chew this up and give it to you. It's for me to teach you how to chew for yourselves. Okay, so I want to put this up so you can see. Now, most important thing I want to point out, that is not the entire verse. If you look in your Bibles and you look at Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 34, you will find out that this phrase is actually one third of a verse. And so one thing we... All right, forgive me. I'm not angry at you guys. I'm passionate. We have to stop reading the Bible one verse at a time. Please, for the love of God and what he is doing within this church, stop reading the Bible one verse at a time. And I have very good reasons for that. Okay, one, verses are not native to Scripture. Verses are not, they are helpful, they are useful, but they are not native to Scripture. The smallest unit of complete thought within Scripture is not the verse, not the sentence, but the paragraph. So please, one of the things I teach to my students in our youth ministry is always read the Bible one paragraph. If you're going to read the Bible and you've got to do a quick one, only read it a paragraph at a time. Do not do a verse at a time because you will walk away with understandings like forgive and forget is biblical because you only read one third of a verse. If we are to be the church that Jesus wants us to be, if we here at Fellowship Bible Church, we have always seen ourselves as passionate students of Scripture, this is one thing we need to address and we cannot let go. Stop it. 
Okay, because when you look at Jeremiah chapter 31 within the entire paragraph, and also quick Bible trivia, Hebrews chapter 8, where this is quoted, is the longest quotation of Old Testament scripture in the New Testament. So that's for free. Um, But when you look at Jeremiah 31, 34, you see in the greater context, it has nothing to do with one person to another person, but it has to do with God and the new covenant and him reconciling people to himself. And that phrase right there, I will remember their sin no more. Okay, that's not talking about God forgetting our sin. Like, oh, I can't remember you ever doing that. But rather it is more like the, I am not going to bring the past back up as a weapon to hit you back over the head with. And this is something we all have experience with. You're together with a group of friends. You're at the family reunion or whatever, and you're sitting around talking about the good old days, and then someone brings it up. Hey, remember that time you did that really dumb thing? <laughs> Wasn't that awesome? Remember that time you did that really immature thing? Or even in the context of your relationships, you and your spouse or girlfriend or fiance are sitting there and they're like, hey, remember that time you forgot that really important date? I didn't. This is something that the character of God does not do. He does not sit above you and say, remember that time you really let me down? Yeah, because I didn't. No, that is not the heart of God. When the meaning of this text is that he will not dredge back up the past to heap more shame and embarrassment upon you because he sees these things as forgiven and thus we are not gonna talk about it anymore, but not until we actually talk about it. So I'm sorry for that little sidebar, but I felt it was very important for us, especially as as how we see ourselves in this church. Uh, So to sum it up, forgive and forget is not biblically true. It is not even psychologically true. It is not even physiologically true because of how God designed our brains to work. It is wholly true. It is fantasy. It is not biblical. Uh, and so once again, if you want to argue about it, I'm all for it, but not right now. Um, so we're going to close out this little section here of what forgiveness isn't while I get my heart rate back down. Um, but to kind of close this out, I want to say this. Forgiveness is not cheap words that allow us to avoid responsibility. If you wanted to sum it up, any apology that you give to someone else that gives you enough wiggle room to avoid being responsible for what happened is not forgiveness. And this is a lesson that I have had to learn many, many times, especially in the lives of my children, because I will stand before you and say, my children have borne the brunt of my sinfulness more than any other creatures on this earth. And so it's part of God's work in me to be courageous, to fess up and to own it, even though I could have all the temptations saying, well, they'll, they'll forget about it eventually and stuff. But, but, but please, please hear my heart in this. This is something that God is working within me as well. And I hope that he works it within us as the church. We're gonna find out that forgiveness is costly. Not costly in terms of punishment, but costly in terms of what it means to be reconciled. Costly in terms of what it means to be brave enough to own what actually happened. Costly in terms of facing the truth and so that we, as children of the truth, can be washed clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. Forgiveness is costly. But furthermore, let's get into what forgiveness is. Now that we've kind of trimmed back the hedges and kind of made a wide open space, stripping things down to the studs, if you will, let's look at forgiveness. And we're going to look at forgiveness in the context of the Lord's Prayer. Okay, so for a definition of forgiveness, um, I want to put this up on the screen, okay? Forgiveness is... Naming the full weight and ugliness of the fence, not the fence, the offense, and releasing your right to revenge. Forgiveness 
is naming the full weight and ugliness of what actually happened and releasing your right to control. Forgiveness is naming the full cost of what something has cost you and trusting in Christ that he will handle this. And so when it comes to naming the full weight, we actually have a biblical precedent that I want to share with you guys. Um, it's in Luke chapter 22. Um, and this is, what's a, what, what we're going to be looking at is uh, when Peter denied Christ, um, when he was, during his trials, um, when Jesus was being trialed before Caiaphas, the high priest, and everything that was going on, uh, Peter, uh, of course, as predicted, denied Jesus three times. And even though all four Gospels record this story, only the Gospel of Luke records this one specific detail that I think it's worth our time to look at. Uh, so in Luke 22, we're going to begin in um, verse 60. So I'll have it appear on the screen. Luke 22, verse 60, and immediately while he, and that's Peter, so immediately while Peter was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and look at this detail mentioned. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how had he said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. So as soon as Peter committed the offense that he told Jesus he would not do, Jesus raised his face, turned him, and intentionally made eye contact with Peter. And just that very moment brought to Peter's mind everything that he had said, everything that they had been through, and the weight and the gravity of what he had just done just fell on his shoulders and crushed him, broke him down so much in such a way that he had to leave weeping bitterly over what he had done. You see, Jesus did not even have to say a single word. He just had to make eye contact with Peter. And, you know, we were not there. Uh, and so we do not know what the face looked like, but we know enough about the character and nature of Christ to know it was not a look of anger. It was not a look of disgust. It was not a look of shame, even. It was a look of sadness. It was a look of grief. It was a look of deep, deep hurt. As he looked at his friend, and with one glance, making eye contact with him, he communicated to him what he needed to. You have hurt me terribly. I need my friends, and you denied me. And you said you wouldn't, but you did. And then as a result, Peter, fully aware of what he had done, fully bearing the full weight and ugliness of what he had done, then left and weeping bitterly in repentance and regret. And don't worry, don't worry the, the news is good. In fact, the next time Peter and Jesus call each other, we see the, the restoration of Peter, and he gives them a wonderful mission. Uh, and so this is not like hey, they left and parted ways never to talk again. Uh, there was reconciliation, so that's, that's the good part. But when we look at forgiveness, though, we have to understand it plays a pivotal role in the life of the Christian in terms of how our forgiveness happens, and so, like, real quick, we can put a, just a quick little snapshot of here. Okay, so the Holy Spirit is responsible for conviction. It says that. So whether the Holy Spirit approaches you, hits you atop the head, or sends another brother in Christ who loves you dearly to bring something to your attention, the Holy Spirit is responsible for the conviction in the heart of the believer. And from there, repentance is a choice. When the Holy Spirit brings your attention to it, you then have the choice. Do I submit to the Spirit's calling and repent, 
or do I distract myself and forget about it and keep going along with life? And from repentance leaves, leads us to forgiveness because repentance is a choice of the person. I am now going to do this. Forgiveness is the extension that the person extends to the people whom they have harmed and to the people who have harmed them. And it's important to note, forgiveness is a one-person show, especially when we look in the context of the Lord's Prayer. It is between God and the person. The other party isn't even mentioned. And then when we get to forgiveness, from forgiveness, we move into reconciliation. And that's where the second party comes back in, where we can be reconciled before God first, then we are now able to be reconciled before man. Especially when it talks about in Lord's Prayer, as we forgive others is implied first. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And so the idea that we forgiving other people then leads God to forgive us. Uh, and so when we look at what forgiveness, what role does forgiveness play in the kingdom of heaven, we need to address this because this is the only petition in the Lord's prayer that has further clarifiers added to it. Uh, and so Matthew uh, 14 and 15 all right, so right after the prayer ends, it kind of moves into this little section of clarity uh, for the sake of the disciples and what Jesus is talking about with forgiveness. And it says right here, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And honestly, this is uncomfortable. There's really no clever interpretation to avoid the fact that within the Lord's Prayer, there's a very clear conditional statement. As in, as we pray, there are things that God will withhold until something happens first. It's the only one. And so we need to look at it. We need to deal with it. And so one, it signals to us how important forgiveness is in the life of the kingdom of heaven for those who follow the king, for those who declare unto all others that Jesus Christ is my one and only savior and I will devote the rest of my life to become more like him. It is an important thing that we need to discuss, that we need to look at, not for our shame, not for our embarrassment, so that we might further look like him and reflect his love unto others. And in fact, to spare you another one of my angry rants, I want to appeal to Scripture for this one because it says it so much better than I could. In 1 John, the very first chapter, honestly, I was reading it during, during the microphone test. You know, I had to speak so they can hear and dial things in. And I don't like talking just, you know, in the air and stuff like that. So I was like, well, I'll just read Scripture. And so I began just reading 1 John all the way. And we got to chapter 4 before they made me stop. Um, not because they were annoyed, because the testing was done. So they say. So what we're going to look at, though, is in 1 John chapter 1, we're going to look at this passage. Um, and once again, it really captures the idea of how important forgiveness is in the life of the disciple and why we must look at it full in the light and not try to be clever about it. In 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth 
is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Kind of going back to that whole idea, forgiveness only exists in the aftermath of harm. Even scripture testifies to this truth. And so what we need to understand, though, when we first read this verse about in Matthew, this is if you don't do this, God will not do this. If you do not forgive, God will not forgive. First, we need to, uh, to address the immediate images that come to our mind. And oftentimes, in my experience, when I talk to others and when I reflect upon myself, when we see a verse like this, like God will not do it if we do not do it, oftentimes the first image is that of a very stubborn God, a very stingy God, perhaps a childish God, or even an immature God. Well, if you're not going to do it, I'm not going to do it. Because this is how we all behave when we were younger. Well, some of us still do it now. You're not going to do it, I'm not going to do it. And so we still see the same attitude reflected in Scripture when God says, if you're not going to forgive, then I am not going to forgive. So this is what I propose to you guys. I'm not going to submit to you guys something novel, but I do want to try to address this idea of the stubborn, stingy, childish God. Perhaps it is not so much of his refusal until you take the first step. Perhaps it is what we are bringing to the table. So for instance, if I were to say to you, or actually if you were to come up to me and say, Jordan, could you build me a house? And I was like, ah, absolutely. I'll get on YouTube. I'll figure out how to do it. Uh, we can make it. will be an awesome house. I would love to build you a house. It would be my heart to give you something to live in. Uh, can you please bring me some wood? Oh, oh, no, I don't have any wood. With, with, lumber, with lumber prices, they are right now and stuff like that. I'd, I'm not going to give you any wood. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, well, then, okay, so just give me the money. I'll go get the wood. That's no problem. You can still make this work because I really want to build you a house. Why don't you bring me the money, and then I will go get the wood, and we'll take care of it. And, and then you'd look at me and say, oh, I'm, I'm not going to pay for it either. Oh, I see. So then how can I build you a house? So you see, the idea is that God is not withholding. It's not a game of chicken. It's not going to see who's blinking first. It's not a test of will. Okay, I would recommend not doing that with God. He's got time. You don't. Um, but there is this idea that if you are not honest with where you actually are, if you're not honest to the true reality that's happening around you, you're not standing in the truth, then what is it that you're going to bring to God for him to forgive? If you walk through this earth as if you do not need to be forgiven or that you don't need to offer forgiveness, then when you come before the Lord, what is he going to forgive you of? God is not the God who's going to manufacture something to then give to you so that he can forgive it. That, that's, that's not how it works. <laughs> He's not going to manufacture something just so he can give you grace, but rather the posture of your heart. When the posture of your heart reflects the need for grace, when the posture of your heart reflects the need for forgiveness, both from him and from other people, then you're giving him something to work with. In my time, I worked at the hospital for a number of years in, in, the, in the plant operations and the maintenance. And, and so my experience is I have come across a lot of grizzled people who have been hurt by the world and thus carry for this attitude of, I don't owe anything to anyone. And as long as I maintain that, I can have peace in my heart. And what I want to submit to you guys is that is, it's not that simple. That is not 
how life works. Forgiveness is assumed in the life of the disciple because harm has been done. Whether small, whether great, whether severe, whether traumatic, or just something that happened 20 years ago, but it still has not left your mind because as best as you can, you can't forget it. So let's move into how we can apply forgiveness. And I want to be very, I want to be very encouraging with this because it is, the reality is that everybody in this room is owed forgiveness from someone in their past or future or present. And that also that you owe forgiveness to someone else. And that is for you and, and God to work out what that is and how to best do that. That's not for me to tell you how to do it. I'm going to give you some guidelines if you're serious about it. But it's not my job to bring you into the light. Okay, that is the Spirit's job. Okay? So here we go. So how can we apply forgiveness today? So in here, I have a four-step process that can walk someone through what forgiveness looks like. So if you're serious about owning it, if you're serious about truly wanting to be reconciled before people and God, then this is a helpful guideline. This is not scripture. In fact, this came, I didn't even write this. I got this from a Christian counselor um, who has a tremendous podcast, and he deals a lot with traumatic and how to heal from that. Um, and it's worth your time checking out. If you're interested in that, I will give you the de- details later. But in this, I have a four-step process for forgiveness so that you can walk or that you can help someone walk through and to um, not just to achieve forgiveness, but to, uh, to uh, attend to the posture of your own heart. First one is name the harm that was done. And I would say name the harm that was done with particularity. As specific as you can, write down what actually happened. And this is something that we see, uh, once again, reflected in Scripture. Whenever the prophets go before the nation of Israel, they're very specific about what it is that God is angry about. When the prophet Nathan went before David to confront him about what happened with Bathsheba, he was very specific in naming what it was about. Mostly because how frustrating would it be for someone to say, God is mad at you, and you say, oh, for what? I'm not going to tell you. He's just mad at you. Mm. And walking away. Okay, once again, <laughs> we, have, we have active experience of people doing this to us in the past. Okay, but this is not the heart of God. This is not how he responds. And so for us to be more like Christ, more like God as he wants us to be, we must name the harm that was done with particularity. Okay, once again, that way it narrows down the chances for your brain to kind of step in. Every time you think about forgiveness, there's like this little internal public relations expert that kind of pops up in your head and says, hey, looks like you're trying to do some forgiveness. That's awesome. Go for it. Say you're sorry, but then also if you just kind of add this to it or if you go this and stuff, then you actually will end up sounding a lot better than what's actually happened. So, so when we name Forgiveness with, or so when we name the harm with particularity, that helps to protect us from our brain's own instincts to protect ourselves. And once again, taking a step in faith in that Jesus Christ is going to be with us the entire time. Speaking of Jesus, in step two, remember how we are welcomed and embraced by Jesus in the midst of our sin. One of the, one of the chief reasons why a person will not walk the path of forgiveness is because... If they knew who I was, they would reject me. Every person that walks through the doors of a church has that one question going through their mind. 
if the people around here knew who I truly was, would they still accept me? And I cannot speak for man, but I can speak for Jesus Christ and to say totally and with absolute certainty, yes, he does accept you as you are. You are welcomed and embraced in the midst of your sin. Before even the spirit convicts you of sin, know that Christ is already there with you, sitting with you, wanting the best for you and ready to forgive you as soon as it's brought to your mind. And oh my goodness, how did I let this get this far? This is not the person I wanna be. Oh my God, Lord, please help me, save me. And he's like, I'm right there, let's do this. So remember, never forget that you are always welcomed and embraced by Jesus, even in the midst of your sin. And then finally, well, not finally, but in step three, attend to the posture of your heart. This is where you want to be very intentional about asking, what are the reasons why I'm seeking forgiveness? Or what are the reasons why I'm confronting a person with sin? Is it to bring harm to them? Is it to make myself look better? Or is there a part of me that genuinely wants to let it go so that I might sleep better at night? Is there part of me that wants to deal with this? Because I really, even though this person has kind of left and put distance between me, that's not what I want. Rather, I want to be reconciled and so that I can love them better or that they could feel accepted. Because obviously, because many times the path of forgiveness is, is cut short because of the idea of not denying it, but gosh, it is hard. It is costly to let people see who you truly are is a huge step in vulnerability. And I do not want to make light of that. And then finally, repeat. <laughs> repeat, repeat, repeat. Just as repentance is a daily action of the disciple of Christ, for those who are following the way, they wake up in the morning and the posture of their heart is going to be angled towards repentance towards forgiveness, towards walking a different way than they've ever known before. And so as we kind of come to a close when we're talking about forgiveness, and I know some of this is really hard, some of this is really heavy, and, and this is, like I said, forgiveness is a vast subject. And we could spend a year talking about forgiveness in the life of the church, and we would still have more to add to it. Uh, and so I am not trying to give you something definitive. I am trying to offer you a first step um, perhaps there is sin in your life that has not brought, been brought to your attention. Once again, that, that is not for me to say, come before and confess all. It is for you to work out with the Holy Spirit and the posture of your heart. But I want to end uh, with this saying. This is, this is a phrase that was taught to me by my, my uh, dear friend, Sonia. Um, and she uh, just has been a wonderful mentor in my life and a great teacher uh, to me of the word. And she has this to say. To the degree that you know the depth of your sin is the same degree that you will know the forgiveness and grace of Jesus. Your willingness to look at the mess in your life will then be returned and that you will experience greater forgiveness and grace than you could ever have known. If some of you guys will just kind of like a little quick little, okay, all right, that's good, a quick look. And you're shortchanging yourself to the degree that you are willing to be aware of the sin in your life is the same degree that you will know the immense, vast, infinite depth of Christ's forgiveness and grace in your life. 
because he sees all, he knows the posture of everyone's heart right here. So you are not going to surprise him. If you take the step of bravery and say, what is in my life that is unlovely, that Christ died so that it might be, that it might be sanctified, that something else could have come out of that? Is there something? Is there something that I'm not paying attention to? And then finally, I want to end with this phrase. And this phrase here, uh, not this one, but the next one I'm going to show you, is exactly where we're going to pick up next week when we continue on with the sixth and seventh petition of the Lord's Prayer. Um, but it is a gift from God to be aware of your sin. It is a gift from God. The Almighty, sovereign over everything, knowing all, looks at you and says, because I love them, I'm gonna bring this to their attention. Because I am not done with my work in them, they need to know about this. Because I love them, I am not gonna let them walk around in ignorance because I am a God who has promised to finish the job that I have begun within every person on this earth. And so we know because God is good, because he is loving, and because he has promised us that he is going to restore us back to the way he always wanted for us, this is going to come up for the disciple in Christ who's dedicated to following Jesus so they can look more like him every day. This is what you can expect. And my prayer is that you would receive it as a gift. Not like joyfully, like, oh, this is awesome. No, with, with humility, receive this as a gift. And especially, like I said, we're gonna pick up with this phrase right here next week when we finish the series with the last, the sixth and seventh petition and lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. And so right now we're gonna move in. It's been our tradition um, with this series um, that we wanna spend some time in group prayer. Uh, and so what we have been doing is we've been kind of gathering in little circles of eight, 10 or 10 people and stuff like that. Once again, I want, it's very important for me that you guys know this. This is an option, especially if you are not comfortable with getting in a close group of people talking back and forth in prayer, it is okay for you to stay separate from that because it's not gonna defeat the purpose, okay? And, and, and you know, once again, Christ is already here. You're not gonna scare him away, okay? So um, with that being said, we are gonna spend about three or four minutes in prayer as a response to what we had talked about today. Um, so, uh, so we're gonna gather around in groups. Uh, I would encourage you guys to do that, but once again, just know that as an option. Uh, and then finally, uh, I do want to put this out there. We, we normally have a prompt um, for prayer out of what we had just talked about. Uh, and so this is the prompt. Uh, pray for the relationships that come to mind when you think about harm and when you think about forgiveness. So with this said, I also want to be sensitive to everyone in here because you do not think about harm and forgiveness without some extremely sensitive topics coming up. And so I do want to encourage you that silent prayer is acceptable to the Lord um, and so if there's something that is just really close, really vulnerable, this is not the time and place. We do want to encourage you guys to pray and pray as a community, but do not feel like that we're requiring you to divulge confidential or, or very uh, sensitive uh, things within here. Okay, so once again, I want to make it very clear. We are very welcoming. We are very encouraging. Um, we also give as much grace as needed. So when I... Uh, and done here, we're going to do that for about three to four minutes, and then I'm going to come back up on stage and officially close us and let us go. Uh, so with that said, you guys go ahead and start gathering around um, as we move into this time of response um, to what the word of the Lord has given us today.
So I'm really about to close us in prayer, but before we do that, if there are any elders, deacons, staff members, or prayer warriors that want to come up to receive people, uh, now is the time. Father God, Lord, thank you for the wonderful truth that is the gospel that you have given us, Lord, through by your actions, through your death, burial, resurrection, and ascension into final victory over all the world, Lord, that you have taken everything evil and you have disarmed it and put it under your feet, Lord. And so that I pray, Lord, that for those of us that are still wrestling with this idea of forgiveness, Lord, I am fully convinced this is exactly spiritual warfare, Lord. So I pray that you would comfort those that are wrestling with this, Lord. Remind them of what you have already done. Remind them of the finished work of your cross. Lord, when I think about your cross, I'm reminded that the word awful and the word awesome both contain the word all in it, Lord. So you have promised to take all that is awful in our lives, and you have promised to remake that, to bring something lovely out of that, Lord. And so you merely invite us to bring us to participate in reality, and what is actually happening, Lord. The life of your kingdom is a life spent in freedom, not of shame, not of embarrassment, not of being bound by the mistakes of our past, Lord, but in the freedom of walking free with that because of the work that you have done. I pray for every person in here, um, that you would watch over us, Lord. I ask for your peace, for your perseverance and your wisdom to be upon every person in here, Lord, knowing that you are guiding them, that you are walking with them, and that your promises remain true and have not yet failed us. So for everything that you have done and everything that you are going to do in us and in this church, we thank you, we honor you, and we love you, Lord. I pray all this in your holy and precious name. Amen. We are dismissed, um, so you guys have a great week, and uh, we'll see you next week.